Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, <clears throat> title of this talk is uh, Facing in the Right Direction. Don't know exactly, I never know exactly where it's going, but I'm just, I hope it's facing in the right direction, actually, that's, that's the main thing. Uh, but I have some, some things that I, that just felt right to, to share uh, in this particular time, in this particular week. Um, <clears throat> this is, as I'm sure uh, all of you know, uh, considered Holy Week in many people's spiritual upbringing. This Passover has just started, uh, one of the most um, sacred uh, in the Jewish religion, and uh, Easter Sunday is coming up as well. And um, so it's a, it's a time of... Um, focusing on liberation and on freedom. Passover is about is a holiday about liberation. And I, I remember for many years I uh, taught down at the uh, spring retreats in Yucca Valley, uh, and uh, each year oh, for about twenty years I, I taught there. Twenty twenty one years I think it was, and uh, often and we go down in April, and often Passover would fall on. Uh, while we were down there on the retreat, and Jack Cornfield would um, uh, preside over, just for the staff and the families, this um, elaborate Seder, um, much much more spiritual than the Seders that I went to when I was a kid. Um, and we would all talk about liberation and about uh, the significance of uh, the Passover story and how it points to the liberation of the heart where uh, one can be in bondage with their own mind and their own heart besides whatever the externals and uh, there's a possibility of freedom and awakening in that, from that circumstance. And uh, as well, uh, the Easter celebration is about Resurrection, rebirth, out of the um, the depths of suffering comes uh, something beautiful. <clears throat> so, given that as the context, I was particularly um, moved. I have been moved in the last couple of days. Maybe you have too. At um, the possibilities of change, uh, particularly uh, with regard to uh, those uh, Supreme Court cases that have been uh, in the news, probably not possible to not be aware of them if you have picked up a newspaper or listened. And um, it's quite striking 
how in such a very short time, it seems, after a history of struggle and oppression and um, ostracism and being outcast, how not just public opinion, but the psyche of the culture can shift so that there's new possibilities and freedom to um, all the people who were in some kind of prison from the, the culture. And I just felt right to celebrate that, celebrate that and also the putting it in the context of, although it seems so um, despairing sometimes, that change might seem like such a, a long road before there's some significant movement and shift in every single development of of human history uh, that sooner or later when the consciousness expands and and wakes up what seems what had seemed so incomprehensible at one time becomes so natural and normal at another and those who would uh, either be caught in their fears or confusions or a sense of separation and disconnection. Um, When consciousness is brought to bear on that, um, their voices uh, can't stand the light of truth and love. As um, Martin Luther King said, quoting... Um, Theodore Parker, who was a um, an abolitionist from uh, the uh, 19th century, who who died just before um, the Civil War started, but one he was a, a very um, committed. He became like a, a, a Unitarian Universalist um, minister um, and a very fierce, courageous abolitionist. Um, he made the com- the statement that Martin Luther King paraphrased, which is often quoted. Um, Martin Luther King said it, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It might not happen as fast as we would like, but the movement towards greater and greater consciousness is one of inclusion and, and acknowledging the interconnectedness of all of life. That's just the way, the natural way it goes. It's in some ways inevitable, although there's many, many um, issues still to come. But this is one that we can uh, 
celebrate the shift. It has still ways to go, of course, but it's so clear. Um, this is the direction that things are going. And I wanted to share a little bit about that, about this, and also put it in the context of our uh, Dharma practice as well. But I wanted to, just for the fun of it, um, share with you uh, this week's column from my favorite writer, who I've quoted from from time to time, um, who, for whom, for me, Wednesday is the is the high point of the week because his column is uh, is then online and I can read it. <clears throat> Mark Morford, um, who, by the way, my mother has fallen in love with her. She's my mom is ninety four. She's nearing the end. Uh, she's very contented, she's very happy, and she, her big hit is, she says, it's Wednesday, is he around? And I read her the article, you know. She says, oh, I love that guy. I love that guy. Yeah. Rachel Maddow and Mark Morford, that's kind of what she lives for. Anyway, here's Mark's um, column. I'll read some of it. He's so good. Um, The title is, Your Evolution is Totally Gay. Out of the cheap woodwork they come, these swiftly evolving politicians, racing as fast as they can to get with the foregone program and support gay marriage ASAP because they see the writing on the Supreme Court wall, which is the same as the writing on the bathroom wall which is the same as what appears in every poll and survey and sample across the civilized, intelligent... uh, I'm going to... Let's see, edit a couple of words here, because it'll be too uh, political. Um, Civilized, intelligent, uh, non-regressive world. Um, And that writing says one thing... Idiots and fools, cretins and political roadkill are ye who do not get over your uptight sexual fears and ignorance of God pronto. The hottest story of all right now, aside from the leery, reluctant, dully conservative Supreme Court whimpering toward a half-baked, non-sweeping decision on Prop 8 and and Defense of Marriage Act that no one will really like, the hottest story is speed which is to say everyone's amazed at the breathtaking, almost impossible to believe quickness at which the gay marriage issue has, quote, evolved. Not just for politicos desperate for the love of younger voters who don't give a damn for the ludicrous culture wars of their elders, but for the entire culture, how quickly gay marriage has skyrocketed to a majority of public support in a short handful of years so fast that no one can really answer why. What's your theory? How do you explain the staggering shift in support from around a mere 42% in 2009 to an upwards of 57%, a walloping 81% if you're under 30 today? Is it because lots of meek, undecided homophobes finally realized the world wasn't collapsing and their own unhappy marriages weren't affected in the slightest? (laughs) 
Did they finally see that, hey, look, lots of gays have been married for years now across multiple states and countries, and the sky didn't fall, Jesus didn't wreak havoc, and Pat Robertson really is a bit of a goddamn lunatic? Or is it because of pop culture itself, the tipping point, finally reached as enough celebrities, athletes, military personnel, musicians, it gets better videographers, even President Obama himself basically shrugged off the issue en masse, declaring it no longer a big deal, thus instantly making anyone who doesn't support it even more of a stiff, nasty old relic than they were even a week ago? Death. Don't forget death. As I not so humbly predicted in a column just a few years back, death is a key deciding factor in the gay marriage debate. As the older panicky generations die off and are replaced by Obama's younger mixed everything rainbow coalition, gay marriage has always been a generation issue, but even I didn't predict how quickly the shift would happen. It's not easy to quantify, but it's safe to say the Grim Reaper has casually eliminated and continues to eliminate enormous numbers of aging uh, homophobes, (laughs) huge chunks of the, quote, greatest generation, who it turns out weren't all that great when it came to women or blacks or gays or sexual freedom or equality or religious tolerance, but who totally kicked ass in World War II. So there's that. Was it Obama who first used the savvy my position in gay marriage is evolving line back in 2010, even though he fully supported gay marriage as Illinois Senate candidate in 1996? Might have been. Sounds like him. And it's a good line, too. So good that it's been filched by every politician looking to sound even remotely thoughtful since, since... So good that if one more politician utters it, it's going to turn obnoxious and suspicious and will appear as complete, obvious BS. I'll go go down. I'm going to say it, go towards the end. Um, The fact that so many politicians are jumping on a fast-moving, sexually-charged bandwagon when it's the easy and opportunistic thing to do is only evidence that they're politicians doing what politicians do, which is making everyone gag at their hollow pseudo-spiritual awakenings right on cue. Um, He also goes through the fact that it's just in vogue now and there's not the same evolving around guns... Um, let's see, global warming, uh, women, a bunch of other things, because it's not quite there yet in the consciousness. But now it is, so the politicians are, have all evolved. Should we care? Should it matter much? The gay marriage issue is racing like a turbo rainbow condom techno leather strap-on dance party towards no one cares anymore. The last civil right is very nearly wholly victorious. Speed bumps will persist. The Supreme Court may or might, may not um, be able to declare as valid what everyone knows is imminent. Hateful states and staunch um, conservatives will go to their graves waving their sad flags of religious ignorance and fear, same as it ever was. But gay marriage is essentially done. Liberals won. Your kids have already moved on long ago, 
And of course, they're also de facto, by and large, support, they also de facto and by and large support gay bans, women's rights, environmental action et al. And would you look at that? They didn't even have to evolve to do it. Go figure. In the article uh, last week, there's one more paragraph I want to read. It was about uh, Portman, the Republican, who shifted after his, he, he said, my son is gay and I think I'm going to change. And It's a brilliant article, but um, he really, um, he both lauds him and says, yeah, does it take that to change your position? Will it mean that you, that you have to, uh, uh, that somebody has to kill your son before you outlaw guns and et cetera, et cetera? He goes through that. But he says, this is, this is the, the point. By the way, isn't it interesting how you never see a Portman-type scenario in reverse? How you will never hear an intelligent progressive step up to a microphone and say, ladies and gentlemen, after years of fighting for liberal causes, I've come to the conclusion after my daughter revealed she's a born-again Christian that I've had it all wrong. I now believe women are far inferior to men and the church should make all the decisions about their horrible uh, genitals. Also, more guns will solve the problem of all the guns. Homosexuality is a disease, and black people should never be allowed anywhere near a public drinking fountain. Thank you. True heart openings are always toward the progressive. True thoughtfulness never constricts. Reminds me of a, a line from uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, that I love. He says, uh, A mind stretched by a new idea does not shrink back to its original dimensions. And that's kind of how it, how it works when we see clearly how we can't go back. You might forget it's easy to forget, and the conditioning is deep. But as far as the, the, the psyche internally of what we absolutely know to be true, or culturally what we, when the shift, when the tipping point is done, it doesn't go back to more uh, constriction, and um, mm, oppression. So this is, uh, this is to say that um, there's something really inspiring about the way that consciousness moves that as long as we keep facing in the right direction and caring and doing our part to become more conscious than we are adding to that collective consciousness and that we can't despair when it seems that things are going slowly, that we can't underestimate the small successes and even the 
even the years uh, that you're planting seeds, it seems like nothing is happening because in that commitment and in that alignment with what's true, first, if nothing else, that feeling of being aligned with what's true is very nourishing and inspiring and um, um, brings about a sense of wholeness. We were talking in the the joy course this week um, about the the force of truth. Integrity is the is the theme. And uh, Patricia Ellsberg, who teaches, um, who does the guided meditations, and who's married to Daniel Ellsberg, who anybody who's old enough knows Daniel Ellsberg was a great hero of my generation. He was the guy who released the Pentagon Papers and. Um, uh, really turned the public opinion of the war around when he released 7,000 pages of lies, of top secret lies. It was kind of like the WikiLeaks thing, only um, only he didn't have to go to, to jail, even though he was up for 115 years of, of um, jail time when they finally came out of hiding. And... Uh, there's a great movie called The Most Dangerous Man in America uh, because Henry Kissinger called him the most dangerous man in America and they had this huge manhunt on for, for he and Patricia, well, for he, basically, for him, um, after they released these pages. And there's this one moment um, that Patricia was talking about and Dan was there and I've seen the the moment, because there's a picture in their house, where they come out of hiding um, and it was the biggest manhunt since um, the Lindbergh um, kidnapping case in the 1920s or 30s. Um, they were in hiding for uh, for weeks and weeks and they finally came out and when they came out, there was like a sea of microphones and cameras uh, in their face and, and screaming, you know, are, don't, aren't you ashamed? You're a traitor or blah, 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 and all of these, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? And how does it feel? Uh, you, know, you might be going to prison for 115 years and like that. And there's this, this moment that was brilliantly captured by somebody's camera of Dan and Patricia standing like uh, it was like a it's like a beam of of light surrounding them with all of these cameras it's and, and all of these microphones and just standing right in the the force of truth what what Gandhi called satyagraha the truth force and uh, Patricia, every time she tells it, I, I, I'm so moved. She said, there was something so um, at ease and peaceful knowing that they were doing the right thing. And there's this beatific face of Patricia's and this centered strength that, that Dan has. When you know you are living in the truth, that's the most powerful force of all. And even though it seems that, that 
the wheels of justice and righteousness are, are slow, to still stand in that truth and have the courage to, to speak the truth um, is, is really the expression of consciousness and um, the, the power of love, really. And so as long as we're facing in the right direction, those small successes and the, that feeling that you are doing the right thing, this can be a source of, of well-being and joy uh, before the, the big celebrations. And this is not only for the cultural shift, but for our own personal practice too, when we are moving in the, dire- in the right direction of greater compassion for ourselves and for others, greater understanding, maybe just a little bit of more forgiveness towards ourselves or towards others, to really focus on those small successes rather getting, than getting weighed down by the negative of, oh, this will never come to pass, what's the point? And each, each one along the way can become part of um, eventually some milestones that you look back and say, oh yeah, things are changing a little bit. Mm. Even in our personal practice, uh, I was saying this in the, in the Joy Course this week, um, when, you, when you look back Maybe I was saying it last week here too. When you when you look back and you see in your your past things that you've done that make you cringe, that you look back and say, "Oh gosh, I can't believe I did that." That cringing is really a, a very positive sign because you're no longer the person that you were. So cringing is great, you know. Uh, it's a drag, I know. It's a drag. But it's great to see, oh, wow, I'm a different person than I was. I mean, it's if you don't cringe, you look back and say, yep, rip them off pretty well. And here's who's the next victim, you know. <laughs> then you're in trouble, um, but, um, even though you don't know it. But if you look back and say, oh, how could I have done that? You're... You, it's easy to miss out on the development and just get caught in, in guilt. Small successes and facing in the, in the right direction is a very important part of our practice, particularly when we get impatient for how much more there is to go. You know, You might say, oh gosh, you know, Maybe a hundred lifetimes from now, you know, I'll be able to really clean up my act. You know, don't go there. Don't do it like that. Don't hold it like that. It's as immediate as this moment. And there's a, a famous line in in the Dhammapada, a uh, couple of verses. The Buddha says, "Do not make light." of your failings, saying, oh, what are they to me? 
a jug fills drop by drop, so the fool becomes full of folly. Do not belittle your virtues, saying, oh, they are nothing. A jug fills drop by drop, so the wise person becomes brimful of virtues. And that is to say, this is all about practicing in the moment habits that face us in the right direction. And every time you take the high road, every time you make a choice for uh, out of love instead of out of fear, every time you act from kindness and compassion rather than ill will, don't miss that, especially if you're one to um, be prone towards self-judgment about how far you still have to go. Because you can miss the celebration that you're actually moving towards uh, greater and greater well-being and consciousness. What that does, how it affects us, is it gives us a mindset of more and more confidence. You see, oh yeah, oh look, doing it okay now. And you see that you have that capacity to make that choice. This is one of the main things I, I like to teach in, or to share in the, uh, in the Awakening Joy course. Don't miss out on those moments of well-being and just say either, oh, well, they were a fluke, or, you know, well, that's the way I'm supposed to be. And then you focus on what's wrong. Because the more you focus on what's wrong, the more you give that airplay. And that's what you will be giving life to. In the same way with intention. Wise intention. Uh, as I... I've said here before, we can have mixed intentions about many, many things. About most everything, if there's a little bit of, even if it's a very wholesome act, if there's this sense of, gee, I hope people saw that, it can easily be, if you're noticing with awareness, you can easily say, oh gosh, what a, you're, you're really just out for strokes. What an ego trip, you know. Who you think you're such a such a enlightened being? Come on, you can get off it. That does no good. That is not inspiring. Until you're fully awakened, there's bound to be some ego in there somewhere. Don't focus on that. Just know, okay, if you see it. Okay, that's part of being human, but ride the energy, the wholesomeness of where you're coming from that really motivated you, that was probably at the heart of the motivation. Because if there's 90% wholesome motivation and 10% ego, if you focus on the 10%, you're going to evaporate the 90%. And if it's 50-50, Keep focusing on the wholesome motivation. Even if it's 1090.
the more you focus on those elements of wholesomeness inside of you, the more you give them life. And if you can really stay connected to how good it feels to come from a place of consciousness and care and, and kindness, then that itself becomes its own reward. Mm. And the same way with inertia. You know, I, uh, I know procrastination uh, very well. It's something that I you know, used to do. De- I get things done. When I, have, when I have a task, I get it done. It takes me a little while sometimes to get there. And once I do, then it's like, you know, that's, I kind of become tunnel visioned. But I know that feeling of inertia and just saying, you know, oh gosh, it can, this is taking so long. Well, the small successes, this is actually what I did when I was writing the book, Awakening Joy. Just sometimes writing is not fun. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. But I knew I had a commitment that I had to do this. And I finally, what turned the whole thing around was getting this little uh, a timer, alarm clock, um, you know, travel alarm that had 15-minute intervals. This is before my, my phone, which has Zen timer, and I can set it for anything now. But it was this 15-minute thing that I'd press, and then it would go off in 15 minutes. And I would write in 15-minute intervals. You know, I'd say, okay, I'm just going to write for 15 minutes. And once I get started, you know, I press the button. Oh my God, it's it's done already. Okay, another fifteen. You know, oh okay, another. You know, and I'd I'd write for you know, a few hours. Um, but I needed. It was too daunting to see. You know, oh my God, how am I going to sit here for two or three hours? What's is anything going to come up? Fifteen minutes, I can handle. And it's, it's something that, you know, maybe has become a kind of metaphor for my life. Just small increments. You don't have to climb the mountain all at once. Just, just the next step, you know, like Lao Tzu says, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with, with the first step. And in our practice... One of the things that holds our facing in the right direction is what is called clear comprehension of purpose, where we have a vision of what really will inspire us. Maybe it's to um, learn to love as well as we can, or maybe it's to uh, become enlightened or maybe it's to be free of suffering, or maybe it's to serve others from the best place in our heart that we can. It doesn't matter what is your particular clear comprehension of purpose, just something that really moves you, that calls out the best in you. And when you get clear on that vision, and it can change, I've had many different motivations for practice, usually have one going for me at any time. But when you are 
holding your life in that context, as it's said in the in the teachings, that when you it gives you direction, and when you forget, it's just a temporary slip rather than oh, I've blown it, and who was I kidding? So to keep on coming back to your clear comprehension of purpose, what really moves you, what really inspires you, can hold those lapses in consciousness. Uh, Maybe before I go on, I just invite you perhaps to go inside for a moment. And get in touch with what inspires you to practice. And even if you're new to practice, don't worry about it being not good enough. There's something that got you here on a Thursday night. What's calling you? What moves you and touches your heart? What would you like to grow into? Can you hold a vision of more and more embodying that inspiring vision? And use it as an inspiration rather than some unattained goal. Be inspired by it. And know that whatever you do towards that goal is a gift to yourself and to everybody that you know just the very next step. Maybe it's just sitting regularly or maybe it's practicing kinder speech or maybe it's giving a a gift of safety and harmlessness to others. Whatever it is, It's just facing in the right direction and supporting that greater vision. This vision that you perhaps are getting in touch with is your North Star. It can keep you aligned with your truth and facing in the right direction. Okay, you can gently open your eyes if you like. Mm. So I think I'll stop here and uh, 
I didn't get to the power of habit, but I think in the next few weeks, uh, this is a really interesting book, how um, this this book, uh, Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and in Business by Charles Duhigg, about how... Um, how habits are developed and how they change in our uh, in our brain and how we can um, cultivate habits. So this is kind of like a, a prelude prelude to um, to exploring that together. Uh, but I think I'll stop here and just see uh, we have some time for some questions, comments before we close. Any anything that you want to share? I have a question about. Um, Put it close to you. I, I'm having trouble with feeling like I, part of me wants to let go of people in my life that, in some ways, are ca- causing me harm. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, sort of like I envision it pruning a tree, sort of. And then this other side of me just was like, "Well, what would Buddha do? Is that like the very open, loving thing to do? I mean, is that compassionate?" I, I don't, mm. there's a, I have a really hard time, it's like I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater kind of thing, I don't, I don't want to, I've never been able to just let go of people, and mm-hmm. another part of me says that I'm not taking care of myself in some ways by not doing that, yeah. and, because um, there's sort of like frustration, I just want to be like, ugh, I don't want to... <laughs> It has to do with someone who owed me a lot of money and is not is suddenly deciding not to pay me back. So I'm like, I feel betrayed because it was a very generous thing I thought that I did mm. for this person, and mm. Mm. and um, you know, like didn't tell me, didn't pay my credit card, and and now I got a late fee, and just you know, just kind of like and won't talk to me. I'm like, what happened? Mm-hmm. So I feel like okay, I just want to let this go. I don't want to have suffering around it. Money's not really the biggest part of it. I just want peace around it. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. you know. Thank you. Uh, if you can stay, I'd really um, appreciate staying until uh, until we're finished. And if you have to go, then you have to go. But uh, yeah. Um, the Buddha was very clear. Actually, he said, um, "Keep the company of the wise and avoid the company of the foolish." That doesn't mean you have to put them out of your heart. Doesn't mean you have to um, um, get caught in bitterness and anger. Although being betrayed like that is a is a really um, you know that's a hard one, and so you you have to just be with where you're at with it. You can't you can't just pretend. Oh well, that's that's cool. You know, hopefully you'll have learned something um, from it. But um, you want to be really uh, healthy, uh, have healthy boundaries, and be around people who support your um, your clear comprehension of purpose. And um, you can wish from a distance well to those who are lost in confusion or who cause harm. Anybody else? 
If not, then we'll, we'll close. Going once, going twice. Okay, so uh, let's close with a short loving kindness then. And you might, uh, just before we, we do that, um, just look back on, on your own life. Maybe a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago. The Dalai Lama says if you've got to uh, assess your practice, which he uh, advises against, then look at five or ten year chunks of time rather than last week to this week. And just see, in looking back, hmm, has there been some growth? Has there been some understanding? Have I faced in, have I been facing in the right direction? And if you sense that that's so, and let yourself feel really good about that. And let it inspire you to continue to take the next steps in that direction. And feel joy that somehow you are facing that way. And send some kind thoughts to yourself. May I stay connected to my deepest truth. May I feel all the goodness and love inside and share it well. May I learn from all my challenges so that I grow in compassion and patience and forgiveness. May I awaken to my true nature. And then wishing that for everyone here and out to all beings everywhere. May all see through their confusion and share their love well. May all awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here together be a benefit to ourselves, everyone in our lives, and for the benefit of all beings.
Thank you very much. Have a great week. See you next week. Stack the chairs very mindfully. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.